Welcome to My RN Podcast, the podcast dedicated to providing insight and encouragement to the nursing community. I'm your host, Devin Boren. Today, I am joined by Shelly Bass, who is a registered nurse in hospice. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Devin. Glad to be here. Yeah. Um, I always like to start with like kind of who you are, uh, how sure. long you've been a nurse, mm-hmm. that type of thing. I've been a nurse for, let me think, 23 years, and... Um, I have a couple of kids. One, my oldest is going to college this year, and then my youngest is going to be a junior in high school. And I started working full time, and then the beauty of nursing, you know, I quit and was working kind of per diem During while they were little oh, okay. after Ted was born, okay. and then um, went back very part time. Worked per diem again, went back full time. Very flexible. So, very, so okay. flexible. And I think that's the beauty of nursing. So if I can back up, how mm-hmm. did you choose nursing in the first place? Well, I feel like um, probably not in the traditional way. You know, I was at school and I was pre-pharmacy and... Um, then I was English, and then I was pre-pharmacy again, and then I was English, and then I'd been at Calvin College for a really long time, and it was expensive, and I was like, how can I get out of here the fastest? And it was nursing. You're kidding. Nope. Kind of backdoored that one. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. did so parents 90, push you into that? Or? No, they no. didn't care at all. Hmm. So 90% of my class were like, they wanted to be a nurse since they were two. And I think that's what you find a lot with nurses, that they kind of always knew they wanted to be a nurse. They decided they wanted to be a nurse, and that's what they do. So you took the unorthodox path. I did. There were a couple of others. Like, one of the girls in my class was done with her student teaching. She was ready to graduate with her teaching degree, I think. I don't remember what level. Elementary, I think. And then decided to become a nurse. So. So how did you... Think from pre-pharmacy. To it was all the nurse. science. You had already. I had all the science rest. credits. Oh, so you didn't so, have to do a lot of extra. Mm-mm. You had the chemistry and the biology and all that yep. stuff already. Oh. Yep. Okay. So I applied to the nursing program and I got in, which is lucky because the, it's a lot more competitive now. I don't know that I could do that anymore. Do you think, since some people just know they or they think they want know they want to be a nurse right away. Mm-hmm. Do you think you were a match, even though you didn't realize it initially? I think that there are so many things you can do in nursing that anybody could be a nurse. Really, I think there's something for oh, really? almost anybody. Huh. huh. So yeah. What, what different jobs have you had then over the years? Um, let me think. When I first graduated, um, I worked in a subacute rehab unit in a nursing home. Okay. That was my first job. And... Then I went from there to public health. So I worked for the Kent County Health Department for a stint. What did you do for them? Um, I did maternal and infant health services. So, so I did home visits so in a rural community. Pete's too then? That included Pete's? Yeah, that was, they were babies. It was pregnant moms and infants. Okay. And so I would... Ideally, you would get a referral on someone who was pregnant, and then you go out and kind of help them with nutrition and making sure that they were getting to medical appointments and that kind of stuff. 
Was it the underprivileged then you were servicing? Yes, absolutely. They're Medicaid usually, okay. um, almost always. Sometimes not, but mostly. Okay. Mostly the Medicaid and, um, yeah, some really young girls that were... Mm-hmm. A lot of education then, too? Lots of education. It was almost all education. Education and encouragement. To certain behaviors that would help for their health and the health of the yes, child? Yes, like eating well. You know, like you can't just live on candy bars and Mountain Dew like my 17-year-old wants to. Mm. you you mm. got to eat some vegetables and some fruit, and you will feel okay. better. Drink milk, you know, mm. go to the doctor. Okay. Yeah, follow up. Yeah. Prenatal checks. Okay. Yep. Take your vitamins, that kind of stuff. And then after public health? And then after public health, I went to hospice. Hospice? Mm-hmm. And you've kind of jumped from per diem, part-time, to full-time? Yep. throughout full-time. hospice. Yep. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. What different roles have you played in hospice? Mm. Uh, my first position, I worked as a case manager, so going into patients' homes and taking care of them at end of life. And that's a lot of symptom management and also education. I feel mm-hmm. like a good share of the work that we do is just like normalizing what's happening to people for them so that they mm-hmm. know that you know, some of this is expected and um, and also a lot of medication management. But, yeah. <clears throat> so previously, I just finished up a pediatric um, somebody who works at Peds, mm-hmm. Helen DeVos, mm-hmm. almost the opposite end of the spectrum of mm-hmm. hospice. But, and she, it was really interesting. She told me some challenging parts of the job that I wouldn't have expected. You know, like she's like, I, you have to, as a pediatric nurse, have to be able to be okay with not causing pain necessarily, but discomfort mm-hmm. to children. Mm-hmm. What areas of hospice would you, before, if somebody came to you and said, I think I'm going to be a hospice nurse, what would you load them up with a, hey, be aware of these types of situations. Not that they're negatives or cons, but just be aware of. Mm -hmm. What parts of hospice would you like to tell somebody about? I think, um, especially with case management, well, I think with a lot of the positions that I have, because after I did case management, when I was working a little more flexibly, I did a lot of on-call stuff. So, like, coverage for nights or weekends or kind of case management and, and doing... The on-call coverage, I think, is the feeling like you carry those people with you. When you're case managing, you have this group of people that you're helping, and you... And one thing that's great about hospice is that you help them with everything. You get them equipment, you get them meds, you get them... And it's not like in other areas of nursing where you kind of are like, okay, let's see what your insurance covers, because hospice covers all of it. So we're going to bring you a bed and oxygen and a wheelchair and, and you know, anything you need in your home. We're going to get you medications and they're going to come to your house and supplies and everything else. And so you really um, take some ownership of those people and you kind of carry them with you. And I think particularly when I was younger maybe my life is busier now I wouldn't do it as much but then you know you'd go home on a Friday night you think I hope Mr. So-and-so is going to be okay I hope he takes his meds like I told him to if he doesn't he's going to have a problem and you just kind of they're there with you so you carry them emotionally you do 
You worry about them. Well, I think that's why you probably went into the field, right? You have a yeah, caring personality. Probably. And I don't think you'd survive as a nurse, particularly a hospice nurse, if you didn't really care. No, I've seen a few try. It's not a good fit. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you how do you create a? You want to have empathy, but you mm-hmm. can't carry that burden. So how do you manage that? There's a lot of talk about healthy boundaries with um, patients, and you know you can't. And I think it's something you learn because after a little while, you can't think about each one of those patients like they were your grandpa, you know, or your dad or your brother or whatever. Because if you did, you would just be devastated all the time. You just kind of get to a point where you kind of, in your mind, you know, you keep it professional, right? Like I'm, I'm sure that you have some patients that you've worked with that you get closer to than others. So you try and kind of. You have a little bit of a wall there where you you need to kind of protect your heart, or you can't keep doing the job. But you got to find the balance where it, it, you're giving enough of yourself that they feel loved and protected and cared for, and but you can go home at the end of the night and not cry the whole night. Cause there's some sad stories out there. Oh my, yeah. And did you have it's all ranges of ages too then? Yeah, we have. Um, the hospices that I've worked for, we've had a few kids, but they don't specialize in that. So okay. I've taken care of a few kids, but not a lot. Okay. Um, mostly older. So. And well, as I get older, they're more and more my age. <laughs> oh. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so emotionally challenging. Is there anything else about? Well, it's not eight to five. You know, you might say, like, okay, you're full-time salaried and you're working from 8 to 5, but you're not. You know, if if someone calls you at 4 o'clock and you get there and they're in a crisis, you could be there a few hours. So that's part of why I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I got kind of got to the point where, like, I need to be able to know that I can get to cross-country meets and swim meets and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. But when you're starting out, if you were actually doing the clinical aspect of it in the home, mm-hmm. it's probably challenging from a, it's not particularly set hours. Do you get called out at, do you have on-call hours then too if you're full-time? Like uh, Yeah, they do. They do. It depends on where you work. A lot of hospices are set up differently. So um, at the hospice that I currently work for, the, the people who do full-time case management are responsible for a certain number of on-call shifts. A month, but they're they're way back up. You know, there's four other nurses that that's their job to cover those hours. Oh. And and so if all of them are busy, you might have to go out. But otherwise, they we really try and protect them because okay. they need to have a break. Yeah. Always burnout would be. Yeah, it's Ooh. huge. I think I don't know what the statistics are now, but I know at one point the national average for hospice nurses like two years. Really? It's not very long. Huh. Interesting, because I just talked to a pediatric nurse who has been in peds for 30 years. So the average hospice nurse is only two years? That's what they say. I find that hard to believe, because both of the hospices that I've worked for, the nurses had been there a long time. There were nurses that had been there. Yeah, I think that's it. And maybe people bounce out because they try it for six, eight months. They're like, wow, this is emotionally not not possible for me. Yeah. So... When you sign up for hospice, you guys take care of everything? Meds and equipment? Everything related to the terminal illness. 
So there are some more and more, well, I don't know if I'd say more and more. It's kind of tricky with regulations, like with Medicare. Um, They want you to be covering pretty much any medication that they're on unless you can really show it has nothing to do with their terminal illness. So if someone comes in with cancer, that cancer could be causing them to, you know, so they're on steroids because of pain and then they can't sleep at night and then they're on opioids also for pain and then they're constipated. So you can kind of get to this place where it's like, you know, six degrees and everything's, but there's also stuff like they have asthma and they've had asthma since they were a kid and they have these really expensive inhalers. Well, that has nothing to do with their, you know, current cancer, current cancer, maybe. So every... Every situation is different, but yeah. Hmm. Because Medicare thinks that you're going to cover most of it, so they're not really covered under their insurance right. or Medicare anymore, right. so to speak. Right. Yep. Hmm. There's a yeah. hospice benefit, so Medicare pays hospice a per diem amount per day, um, dollars per day to take care of that patient. It's supposed to include everything, all the staff, all the equipment, all the meds. So... Um, you have some people, you know, it's a balancing act then. Some people have a whole gamut of things and you're going to lose a lot of money and some people don't. So it's just kind of... What's the average when you were in the field that somebody was in hospice care, generally speaking? I think our average length of stay right now is 47 days. But I, right now, um, I do... A, a review of every admission that we do and mm-hmm. a lot of, and I do that next day so tomorrow when I go into work I'm going to review all the admissions from yesterday and the, so let's say there's 10 admissions three of those people will probably already have died that quick? that quick or they got in too late then. almost always it's one of the survey questions um, that families get afterwards and almost always there'd be a comment we wish we would have called sooner. Interesting. Why do you think people not, why don't they call sooner? I think because there are so many treatment options. It's hard, I think culturally it's hard for us to give up hope, right? Like you always think, well, maybe if we try this clinical trial or another round of radiation or even with some of the other um, more chronic illnesses like heart disease and, and some of the lung diseases, they've had them for 20 or 30 years. They've kind of been dealing with symptoms, and they, I don't think they really, it kind of creeps up on them until they get to, the, to a tipping point where they like, oh, can't do this anymore on our own. Well, the patient themselves and the family together? Yes. Because they're both kind of in that boiling water where they're just kind of slowly getting to that tip. And I think hospice is unique. Well, I would think Pete's might have this too, but it's one of the the times when our patient is not just our patient. It's the patient and their family, and that's actually in our regulations. We're required to to help the family. So how do you how do you deal with the family as well? Education. It's a lot of education because they're the ones that end up doing the brunt of the work. When you think about 
Like, okay, so how many visits do they get a week, per se? It, it can vary widely. Like, some people will get a couple of visits a day if there's an emergency, but... Not from the nurse, if you, right? Yeah, maybe. Oh, really? Maybe, if they have a bad... If they have a need. Um, but let's just say you're your average person signing up initially, and you're mm-hmm. doing pretty good, and you feel like you're signing up really early. Bare minimum is a nursing visit once a week. Okay. Nurse so, aid, too, then? If, if they want it. If they need it, if they if they need it, absolutely. If they would like that, they can have that. And those that can start at once a week, it can start at twice a week. It, you know, we go all the way is what's needed. Okay. But even and then you have a social worker. Okay. Who will see you and once a week, twice a once uh, every probably two once every couple of weeks is okay. more normal for the social worker. Mm-hmm. And we have a chaplain. The chaplain will come and see you once a month if they want that, you know. And then we have our doctors do a lot of visits, so the physician will come and see you initially. We try and get out there in the first week, so the doctor's coming out to see you, the nurse is coming out to see you, and initially everybody has to see you. So the first week is kind of busy. first week is really busy, and people are like, oh, I don't want all these people in my house. <laughs> I don't feel that sick. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. So, but then the brunt does fall on the family. Yeah. If you start and your nurse is coming once a week for an hour, that's an awful lot of hours that you're there by yourself. And family are probably intensely there because they know this is going to last they are. six, eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, what is the what are the good parts of hospice that you'd say wow this is a great part of my job I think the the best part is just the relationships that you can build with people and um, and helping them you know it, it's a really scary time for people and to know that someone's gonna come and help you figure out how to do some stuff stuff that you didn't even know you needed help figuring out you know you thought you were kind of tuning along okay and then and then someone comes in and talks to you, and it's like, well, what if we do this? And you're like, oh, that would make my life a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, helping you, just setting up meds for some people. Some people are on a lot of pills. And visually, that can be difficult. I mean, I don't know about for you, but pill bottles, that writing's getting smaller every day. Amen. <laughs> So, you know, to have someone come in and set up your pills for the week. Um, keep you can, that's something you can offer if they want it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. What about, are there, do you kind of decrease some pills? Or yeah, if they want to. Some people come in and they say, I am sick of all these pills. I don't want to take them all. What do you want to take? You know? What's You're going to feel a lot better if you take X, Y, and Z. I would recommend you keep taking those, but if you want to quit taking the 30 vitamins a day that you've been taking for the last five years, go for it. Maybe you'll have some room in your stomach for some food now. I had um, another nurse I was interviewing. She was a nurse practitioner, actually, and she did some work in hospice, and she said that the family often wants to just feed Mm-hmm. Feed, feed, feed. It's a huge how, problem. How they love. Yeah. And she's like, actually, it's harder on them because mm-hmm. they have to do something with it. That body takes energy. To yep. Eat. And people off. She often sees patients 
eating just to please the family. Yeah. Do you see that? And too? not feeling well afterwards. Lots. Yeah, what is it in the end of life where you? Is it just that the body is? It's just kind of like and it's trying to conserve or. Things are just shutting down. Everything's slowing down. If you have cancer, a lot of times they'll find towards the end. Any you're eating and you're feeding that cancer. The cancer is growing faster, sucking your energy out and consuming those calories, and it's getting bigger. You're feeling worse. Um, but like you think about if you are, if you go for a big run, you don't want to come home and eat a huge heavy meal, right? Like your 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 body is using that blood to cool off your extremities you know all that circulation is just running all over the place it's you kind of find that with people as they are dying their circulatory stuff just changes like things are slowing down nothing is moving so fast or sometimes it's moving strangely and so you get this lump of food in your gut sometimes they're having swallowing problems we see that a ton ton of dysphagia where just Esophagus isn't working right. Aspiration pneumonia is a huge problem. Um, but, it, you know, it's the culture, too, to feed people. Yeah, that's how I love, you know. It's yeah. one of the ways we love. Sure. You make them comfortable. And, boy, this, you know, this bacon's your, it's your favorite it's thing. It's your favorite thing. And Grandma's not eating very good, and she loves whatever, you know, and you bring her some, and she doesn't want it. Well, and some people, depending on medications and chemo and radiation, taste buds change. Mm. Um, flavors don't taste right. Things don't sound good. Mm. So it's a variety of things. I think, you know, when you think about how the Indians would just, like, walk off into the woods when yeah. they knew it was their time, like, there's something inside your body that's just like, okay... I'm starting to be done here, and I'm just going to start slowing down. If somebody would come to you and say, um, let's say somebody's in the first year of, of nursing and says, I think I want to try hospice, what would you tell him or her? I would say, um, where have you worked? You know, What have you done? What's your experience? Because I came into it kind of weird, you know, with... Subacute rehab. I worked with a lot of older people, yeah, hips and knees yeah. and that kind of stuff. So congestive heart failure problems, yes. COPD, those yep. types of things. Yeah, yep. kind of prepared you a little bit. A little bit, but it is a lot more intense than it was when I started. When I started, it's like we didn't do IVs. We didn't do um, a lot of the things that they're doing now in patients' homes. We would not have done in hospice twenty years ago. Like what are they doing now that they didn't? Do IVs, okay. pain pumps. Um, I mean, there was a little bit of that, but not like it is now. Um, and when I say IVs, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about IV fluids because that's a huge. People worry a lot about dehydration with the food too. That's that's part of it. It's natural. It happens, and. Usually when you pump them full of fluid, like we've had patients that'll fall and they go to the emergency room, they get admitted, they pump them full of fluids, they send them home, they can't breathe because that fluid goes to their lungs, they've got fluid weeping out of their extremities, their systems, it's just like the food, they just can't handle it anymore. So anyway, back to your question. 
I would tell them, get some med surge experience. You know, we have a lot of nurses right now that are doing on call for us that came from like trauma nursing, ER, ICU. Those are good preps. Those are good preps for, especially for on call because you never know what you're going to walk into. I mean, ER nurse probably great, right? Great. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. You kind of got to switch your mindset, but most people, if you've been in nursing a while, you've seen some stuff and you know, you know what happens when people don't let go at the end. It's not pretty. Hmm. What happens? Hmm. It's, it's the people with aspiration pneumonia and leaking fluid all over the place and not being able to breathe and I don't know. It, everybody they needs panicky. they get panicky. Well, not being able to breathe is oh, a panicky yeah, it's, feeling. It's the worst. I've asthma. I know the feeling. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. So you know, there's a lot of medications they can give you for that. They're sedating. Um, I'm talking about for the panic. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh. What else? Uh, you know, just CPR in general on a frail elderly person isn't pretty. All those cracked ribs and in the... Um. So some want you to do CPR even though they're in hospice? Mm-hmm. They can choose. They can oh. choose. They can choose. I did not know that. There's I would assume you have to have no kind of life-saving intervention. This no, type thing. it's their choice. Really? They can choose. And and what is a life-saving intervention? I mean, if if your loved one gets pneumonia, are you going to give them antibiotics? Or, like, starting to get septic from a urinary tract infection, do you give antibiotics? Those are choices that people make. So, like, those are conversations that I had with my father before he got very ill. And so we knew what his wishes were. It's easier to make those choices. My family is well aware. My brother is my power of attorney because he will pull the plug tomorrow (laughs) without another thought. (laughs) I mean, it's terrible to say, but you need to. You want that. That's your wish. That's my wish. I don't want to. You don't want to put that decision on your hand. I don't. Or your kids. Or your kids. Nope. And they all know what. And you know what? The crazy thing about our system, too, is that. Anybody can override that tomorrow, you know, I'm sure if. So I can say that I'm do not resuscitate. And if I quit breathing right now and my husband is here and the EMS is called, he can say, I want her resuscitated, and they will. Even though it's written on the card Even there. though it's written on the card there. Yeah. Really? Oh, I did not know that. I thought that's the reason why we had the cards. Well, I worked home health, and we have it on the refrigerator. You know, what's your wishes? And we always had to ask that question. Yeah. Well, well, and hopefully then the person that you chose as your advocate is willing to follow through on your wishes. That's a hard. That's it's a hard. hard. It is hard. It's very hard. So you understand why people aren't ready to make that call. Totally. It's almost like you need a team of people standing there. You like, do. Like three people say, well, remember, she said she didn't want to be resuscitated. Okay. Well, and think about that in your own family. You have a few kids. Their personalities are different. They live in different places. It's always the kid that lives across the country that's not ready to let mom or dad go. They haven't seen what's happening. They're not watching day to day how miserable this is for them. 
they and swooped they, in they yesterday. They swooped in yesterday, or they don't even come, and they're on the phone. And so I just, I really advocate for people talking openly and frankly with their families about what they want. And it can be whatever. Maybe you want everything. Then let people know that, and they know to do that. And how do you guys communicate that as a staff? You know, like, so the, the nurse aides there or the counselors there, mm-hmm. I mean, do you guys, is that, how, how is that communicated in the chart that? What their wishes are? Yeah, is that somewhere in the house? So right for hospice, it's a requirement that we have those conversations at admission. So we ask about, you know, do you want CPR? Do you want to go back to the hospital? It's what? right in the chart, boom, It's right, right there. in the chart. Yep. Pull it up on the computer in your tablet it's right there. there. Boom. Yep. Um, whether anybody really has time to look at that, you know, if you're in a yeah, if you're right in the moment and something extreme is happening, but the, you're having that conversation. It's not just with the patient. Usually, their family is there, or at least a family member is there, hmm. and that's part of the social work. What the social workers do. It's a big. They help people they talk the, to their families. Are they in the first week as well? They are in the first week. week. Yes, they have to be there in five days. Hmm. So the new nurse, going kind of back, kind of yep, yep. going backtracking here, um, med surge yep. or ICU yep. or ER, anything that kind of helps you triage a variety of things. I think med surge would be great because you see a ton of different A stuff. ton, yep. You see the elderly, you see the kind of the orthopedic, you see everything. Yep. And what would you say to them, watch out, what would you, the first six months, what would be your advice to them the first six months that they're there? Uh, my experience was, as you're becoming a new hospice nurse, especially if you're becoming a new case manager, it's a lot to keep track of, just mentally. Um, you know, I'm in this visit with you, and you have just gotten a terrifying diagnosis and you're scared so you have things that you want to talk about and that can take our entire visit you know and if your family members are there and they have some other things that they want to talk about that can take our whole visit in the meantime I'm you know checking your skin and talking about your blood pressure and just checking everything during over during my actual nursing assessment right managing the medications is humongous you know so it calling we have systems in place computer systems you know that we can order phones on an app on the phone and they'll be delivered to the patient's home well that's great if I'm here with you and you say to me I need more morphine okay I will I put my prescription request in the doctor has to sign that then because it's a scheduled medication and so that takes a little extra time, right? I send it off, I leave. Okay, a half an hour from now, you're like, oh yeah, and I need X. And then tomorrow you call, oh, and I need Y, and we're running out of this, this, and this. You know, okay, oh, you wheelchair exactly. <laughs> so those are the things where all of a sudden it's like the time that you had allotted to, to wrap this person up with a bow so that they're gonna be okay for the next week just got extended into five hours of back and forth on the phone, stupid piddly little stuff that drags you down, wrecks your day. How do you, did you have a system, like a management of like, 
You started marketing. Everybody needs to figure out their own system. You know what uh, I mean? So it's organizational like, system it's, or, it's an organizational system. It's like, how are you going to manage your calendar? How are you going to figure out when you're going to see everybody? And how much time does it take? And then build in travel time. And then leave some space in there for people who are having emergencies that day. Um, and, you know, maybe you do have an appointment that afternoon. You need to get out on time. How are you going to do that? That All that stuff, plus learning new computer systems, plus learning the culture of your new company, you, I'm sure, have seen the culture of your company takes a while to learn and makes a huge difference. There's so much assumed communication. Yes. Or yeah. things that they just can't communicate everything in two days. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What is the orientation for a it's crazy. hospice nurse? It's crazy. Everybody does it a little different. And that, I think that's what I want to say to this new nurse who wants to be a hospice nurse. Give yourself a year. You're, it's going to be year. a year before you feel like you were a decent case manager. That's why when you say, if we wow. talk about a nurse stays for two years, they're just getting good at their job when they're leaving. They're probably getting good enough that they're getting a lot of responsibilities chucked on them and they get burned out. Hmm. But it takes a really long time. The hospice regulations are big. How much time before they kind of quote unquote send you out on your own? You have a month or two where you're doing probably two to three weeks. I mean, you're doing co visits after the second week. You have a preceptor that you're following with, but most nurses, if you've worked a while, you don't want to follow someone around for eight hours a day and sit there with them. They, I think, and even I think we've learned that if you follow me all day for a couple of weeks and I ask you at the end of those two weeks do you feel like you're ready to do this you're like oh yeah and then you go to your first visit and you think oh how did I do this and I don't remember how to find it in the computer and where are the phone numbers I need because I know I need to do x y and z but I can't remember so you know you kind of learn oh yeah Hmm. that way wow I didn't realize how much management it would take you have to be organizationally strong to yes to be a hospice nurse it's not like well i think you need to be organizationally strong to be a nurse in general but yes. in particularly this role where you're well, managing so much stuff it's very different from shift work you know in shift work you kind of you get in you get a report you pass your meds you do your treatments you you know what i mean you, you kind of have a flow to your day and the organized people do it better um, and it's the same. And you literally pass them off. Yeah, you do. And you go home you go and you home. make supper. Mm-hmm. But you might get a call from Fred who says, I didn't get my morphine. It's not delivered yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you got to manage that. We have on-call people that will manage that. But then your documentation better be in there so that they know what happened. So they that's the other you. huge piece of it is documentation. Is it documentation uh, more heavy than, like, your med surge? Absolutely. Really? Okay. Yeah. I did home health, and I, um, nurses do majority of this, the OASIS forms, but do you guys have a similar intake form that's kind of just gargantuan that goes on forever, or? You know, like, they have the MDS that's humongous, and then they have the Oasis that's a little bit smaller than the MDS, maybe. (laughs) And then we have something called the HIS, and it's, like, 11 pages, you know, when it's printed out. Yeah. But it is... Boxes this big. They're they're tiny little boxes, but 
I think they're very reasonable. Oh, okay. It's not like asking you a bunch of ridiculous stuff. When you when you see the questions as a hospice nurse, you look at them and think, yeah, every hospice nurse should be asking these in an admission. So they make sense. It's not... That's part of my job. That's what I do now. I make sure that that form is filled out and I submit it. Okay. So what is the average intake average now? I'm sure you got talkative people. I know the feeling. It's like you can't get them to, okay, I just need to know your pain level. I didn't need to know the history of the last five days of your pain. Just just give me your pain level. Yeah. Um, What's the average that it takes? uh, Probably four hours. Four hours? Yeah. Wow. I thought an hour and a half was a long time. How do you stand that? Well, that's intense. There is a ton of paperwork. There's a ton. Sure, that's huge. It is. It's a big visit. Well, you think about this. Oh my! I'm coming to see you. You have terrible news. When I walk in, you need to tell me your whole story about everything that's happened, all the doctors you've been to, all the tests that you had, how many times you've tried different things, and how it didn't work. Is that part of your intake then? Or are they just telling me that? That's part of the admission. You know, you kind of like, what brought you to hospice? And, Mm. you know, what's going on? And it just naturally, people, people need to tell that stuff. And they need to be heard. Yeah. Of their story. They do. So you can't cut them off. Plus it impacts care. So if you have somebody who was an alcoholic for 40 years and is estranged from their family now, um, that's going to impact pain medication, right? It's going to impact the whole way that they deal and cope with this. And it impacts how much staff involvement they need because they don't have as much of a support system. And... Do they want to try and reconnect? Are the people open to that? And more and more, we see that. So, so do you do you only do one of those a day? No, our admission nurses do two a day, and if it's really busy, they'll do three. Oh wow, that is I, I, well. I if I did two, I did two regularly, mm-hmm. Oasis submissions a day plus something extra. And I was like mentally, oh, I can't imagine spending three, four hours in somebody's home. And do they are they looking? They're at not like always in the home the, that entire time. Oh, okay. Sometimes so, they're at, because people don't want you in. Yeah, so I was saying when I when I was doing they admissions, they're, they're like they're ready, ready for you to go. Yeah, like hour ish. They're tired. Uh, yeah, plus they're, they're tired. Worse. Yeah. yeah, they're tired. They don't feel good. No. And then you're telling them, like, yeah, I'm here today for two hours and for the whole (laughs) week. Someone new is going to call you every day and be in your home. How do you feel about that? Is that what I signed up for? (laughs) So there may be an hour and a half, two hours in the home, but then the paperwork side takes another two hours. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That that's more doable because four hours on, kind of on when you're in the home, you're on. Yeah, you are. That's intense. Yeah. Ooh. It is. So what type of person can you kind of, when you're, when you're looking at somebody or you know somebody, um, do you, what's the type of person that thrives as a hospice nurse? I don't know that I can say that because when I think about the nurses that we work with right now, they are as different 
as different can be. And everybody brings a strength to it, right? Like, we have some really kind of tough-sounding, you know, hard-sounding people. They connect with a certain population, and those people thrive with someone like that. They don't want me to come in all touchy-feely, give you a hug. They don't want that. Some people need that. So, and, you know, just like you tailor your care to individuals' wishes. Hospice does tend to be a little more touchy-feely probably than some of the other um, Mm -hmm. places you would work. I would, maybe pizzas too, I don't know, but... Hmm. Yeah, it, I think everybody brings something different. And I've seen a lot of different people, a lot of different styles do well. Hmm. And just like any other kind of nursing, you have the patients that don't like you, right? Like, you know, you guys switch then? Yep. If people call and say, I do not want to see this person ever again. Well, we've got so-and-so. And they'll come out tomorrow. Hmm. That's nice. Interesting. Yeah, it's... It's almost like uh, being in home health, you got to be a bit of a chameleon. A yeah. Little bit. Yeah. Because you're on their turf. Totally. I found out that if you just kind of walk with their rules, and it tends to go a whole lot better. It does. Yeah, you can't come in and be... Maybe that'd be one thing. You can't be super controlling, right? Oh, not in home health. No, not... In ICU, you can. Because yes. half the time they're sedated. Yes. But and not in... No. You need to, that that would be probably a big adjustment. Like, you need to be able to let go of the rules and realize that you could give people the best information, and when you leave, they make their own decisions. Or they totally forgot it. Yeah. Because we're giving them so much information. So much. Yeah. I found, too, that um, if you can be a little, um, a, a really clear, good communicator... And just kind of stick to maybe three or four specific things on that particular visit. Mm-hmm. And then add on to that base. That goes a whole lot better than throwing 12 things at them at the first time. Right. So that is a challenge when you're only going to have a patient for two weeks. And everything is in crisis. And you've got to teach them everything right now. Wow. So that has been, I think, the new challenge for hospice is... Referrals come later and later. There's a lot. There's a huge learning curve there, and you don't always get the chance to teach them everything they need to know. Do you think there's room for um, family practice slash, I don't know where you get your referrals from, but to refer quicker, to educate them on the timeliness of hospice? You know, it's interesting because I think most of our referrals probably come from hospital or specialists um, and not as much from family practice. Why is that, you think? I don't know. I don't know. I've worked with some family practice physicians who were extremely hesitant to refer to hospice. And I've worked with others that were pretty good about it. So you think it's I don't like know. they're betraying the hope that mm-hmm. the person has put in them. Mm-hmm. It's almost like against the, their principle. Like they're of, giving up on them. Yeah. 
I don't know what it is, but yeah, a lot of our referrals come from the hospital. Yeah, and they don't have the relationship with them, but they they can see objectively and say, "Wow, Mrs. Johnson, this is a." I think the best thing for you right now would be hospice. Yeah, well, a lot of times they've done a bunch of testing, and then they come back and they say, "Sorry, there's nothing more we can do for you." Hmm. Wow. So, what roles have you done in hospice itself? Mm-hmm. Your QA well, I've right done now. Ca- I've done case management. I've done mm-hmm. on call. I've done admissions. Um, What's I've, on call like? A call is like it's the middle friend. of the night, and my phone rings, or I get a page now, and I look at the page, and it says, "Call this number." A little blurb about what the issue is, and you call them, and you find out what's going on. And sometimes you problem solve over the phone and sometimes you go. So it's kind of, that's where the emergency room kind of mentality is great because it's kind of this adrenaline, you know, where you're just like, you're off. And and when you get there, people are so appreciative of you being willing to come in the middle of the night so they didn't have to go to the hospital again. Um, And... So I think you would ask earlier about like what's what do you get out of the job? That's huge. Like families are so appreciative, they're so thankful, and you just help them in a really vulnerable time, and it's special. Mm. There, you know, it's just I can't describe it. Well, you get to use your gifts of compassion and skill, yeah, to help somebody and their family. And when they were just gratifying. like beyond knowing what to do. Yeah, and probably sometimes it's pretty simple. Super simple. I mean, I don't know anything about that, right? So how am I supposed to know? Yeah. Wow, okay. So that's really So you sign up for shifts then? Say, I'll be on call Tuesday night and Thursday night? We have people that that's their job. They only work on call. And our on-call team works seven on, seven off. And so they will be on from like 5 p.m. tonight until 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. And then they're off all day, and then they're on again 5 o'clock at night until 8 o'clock the next morning. But if they don't get a call, they... If they don't get a call, they hang out at home all night. If they do get a call, they might be out all night. You just don't know. Do you get paid even though you didn't go out? They have different pay structures. I think the people that we have that are doing 7 on 7 off are all salaried now. But there's also something built into their pay structure, so like... Because then they're on all weekend too, so they start five o'clock on Friday night and they're on until eight o'clock Sunday morning. And there's wow. a team of them. There's, sure, I think maybe five even now, five or six. So they try and rotate some breaks in there, some time to sleep in there because you don't want a nurse that's been working straight for, you know, two days. But um, there's something with the pay structure, I think, so that if they work enough that they would have made more they got paid by their visit they get paid by the visits I don't exactly understand how it is but is it hard finding enough hospice nurses yeah are you guys like always hiring feels like it yeah we just hired 12 new staff 12 12 and of them one is a chaplain and one's a social worker but I think the rest are all nurses right now wow I think the the future for the least the foreseeable future of nursing is just a huge need. It is huge. Yeah. 
Okay, so, and that's a couple of roles, right? And then I've done some management stuff, and right now I'm doing QA, so it's a lot of auditing and education and mm. um, filling out that HIS that I told you about, submitting mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. running reports, helping with quality. Um, so there's just a lot of places for nurses to work in an organization. Huge variety there. Huge. You had clinical care, you had, which is kind of hands-on with the on-call. You had the case management, which is more of a management position. Now yep. you have the QA, which is really not clinical at all. No, right. it's really not. Hmm. Kind of going back to about anybody could be a nurse because there's so many different... Totally, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and now I think if I had to do it right now, I would do look more like an informatics nursing informatics because I love the computer. I love doing the data stuff and drilling down into the reports and how can we do this better so that it's easier for the staff? You know, what can we do with our current software to make some of this make a little more sense and make it easier so the admission doesn't take four hours? Maybe mm -hmm. it takes three. Maybe they can finish it all while they're there and it only takes two. Yeah. But that, that depends on yeah. your software too. Sure. Is that an advanced degree, nursing informatics? I don't know. I think that... Um, you have to be a nurse first, We were just at the University of Michigan, and I think that I saw something posted there about, you know, if you would be interested in a master's in nursing informatics. Interesting. So I'm thinking that would be... Because I'm sure the big hospitals have them. I, know, I knew one at Spectrum in Grand Rapids, mm -hmm. a gentleman that did that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it required, though. I don't know either. Hmm. Interesting. So if you look back in your career, you started out in subacute and you did a little bit of peds yeah. and prenatal stuff and now hospice. Um, do you think that was a good good experience? Great. Did you look back and say, I wish I would have done this differently? Wish I would have tried mm. hospital work? I wish I would have tried hospital work. Kind of. But... On the other hand, I don't really care. That's another thing I did. I did hospice in the hospital for a while. We have oh. nurses in all three of the major hospitals in Grand Rapids. So that is their job, their full-time job. We have a nurse who's at Metro every day of the week. We have a nurse who's at St. Mary's every day of the week. We have a so nurse it's who's not at just Butterworth. in the home. They offer it in the hospital. In the hospital, in the nursing homes, in assisted living. I knew in nursing home they did, but... Mm -hmm. So then it's paid for there. How does it get determined if somebody stays in the hospital or goes home? Usually by condition. I mean, those are people that sometimes will only be on a couple of hours, and sometimes they're they're really sick. Huh. They're very sick. What What's the advantage of putting them on hospice if they're going to be on hospice for eight hours? That's a great question. Huh. I, th I mean, I know our hospice nurses, so I feel like if it was me, I've been in the hospital a lot with my father, and I know that those hospital nurses are so busy. You push the call light, you need something now. You don't get it now. Yeah, it can be, you can wait a while. Um, if I was laying there and I was dying and there was a nurse that was willing to come in and spend two or three hours with me, and then the social worker and the chaplain, they all come too. I mean, usually those are people that are highly stressed, and they welcome as much support as we could give them. 
it would probably take more if we could but wow. it's a lot of they do a lot for the patients in the hospital I'm, I, I was surprised hmm. so looking forward are you looking to stay in uh, hospice absolutely yeah yep. found your home yeah I think so Any other words of wisdom for nurses out there regarding hospice? Hmm. It's a great field, but it's only, you know, it's only for some people, right? Like, yeah. we all have our niche. But give it a year. Give it a year. Don't feel like you're not good at it because you've tried it for a couple months and it feels overwhelming. The, I think our people feel like they're doing a terrible job the first six months. Hmm. Just They're managing not. all the information, it's or so actually, what to do? Overwhelming. With totally overwhelming. Totally that situation, right? Yeah. Today. Hmm. Did I educate enough? Did I show enough compassion? Well, Let's and that's how. what we try to bring to our QA office because I work with two other nurses, and one of them was one of the hospital nurses. She was full time in the hospital. The other one was full time at our inpatient residence, and. So we all come at it having been out there and knowing you can't remember everything. So if we send you a message, it is a message with love and grace. Like, hey, you did a really great job, but can you please do this too? (laughs) (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) Like the sixth time I send you the same message, it might be a little more terse, (laughs) but. (laughs) Hey, don't forget to fill out that. (laughs) Hey, you did it wrong again. (laughs) No, we would never do that, but. Not to stress you out. Bye. <laughs> exactly. No. Oh, well, thank you so much for the gift of time. Yeah. I appreciate that a ton. And you You've been a huge help for anybody who's thinking about hospice. Appreciate Great. that a ton. So. Thanks. Glad yeah. to do it. Take care. Yep, yeah, you too.